This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. How are you guys doing? Good? Awesome. Well, I'm pumped for the six people that are pumped, ready to go. We got some people fanning in here. I don't know if we can do something about the heat or not, Um, but I want to say welcome. My name is Colby. If this is your first time coming, I'm glad that you're here because we're in this series called The Afterlife, where we're talking about things like eternity and heaven and hell, and today we're talking about heaven, and the reality is is that everybody in this room at some point in your life, you've asked this question. I don't care if you're a Christian or or not a Christian. At some point, you've asked the question, what happens when we die? Like, is there more to this life than just this life? And my prayer is that today we would discover what it looks like on the other side of this life in this place right here called heaven. That's going to be our focus today. Next week, we're going to talk about Hell, so don't miss that. That's going to be fun, too. But today, we're going to talk about heaven. Not, just so you guys know, I'm a, I'm a church kid. I grew up in the church. I love gathering together with God's people. I love worshiping. I love encouraging each other. I love diving into God's word, and we're going to dive into a lot of it today. So I would encourage you to take some notes down, jot down the text, go back through it later on. And I love being able to create environments where even those of you that are are maybe not Christians, you're just seeking. And I want you to know that you are welcome here. We're glad that you're here as we talk about what heaven looks like. And as a pastor, I get all kinds of questions about heaven. Here's just a few. Uh, I've been asked, will my pets be in heaven? Dogs, yes. Cats, no. All right, just so you guys know. So sorry to you cat people. Um, Actually, I don't know. The Bible does talk about there being animals in heaven. It says the, the lion will lay with the lamb, but I'm not sure if Fido or Fifi or whoever is going to be in heaven, so I'm um, sorry about that. I've been asked, why does heaven have gates? Is it in a dangerous community? <laughs> I don't think so, all right? I've been asked, will we be married in heaven? And on that one, I can definitively say no. Jesus says in Luke 20 that there will neither be marriage nor the giving in of Marriage. So for some of you, you're like, oh man, you're you're kind of sad about that. For others of you, you're like, I can't wait to go to heaven. It can't come soon enough. I'm ready to go right now. I've been asked, um, will we have wings when we get to heaven? Like angels, right? Because tradition and myth might tell you they just kind of fly around with wings from cloud to cloud. You know, I I don't think so. Um, But there's this idea that you will be able to travel like far distances in a very short period of time. So that might be kind of cool. Another question that I've been asked is, will there be any other music in heaven besides harp music? (laughs) That would be hell, everybody, okay? So 
I'm hoping that there's different music. Um, will there be sports in heaven? A lot of guys want to know. Will there be sports in heaven? Is there going to be any kind of competition? Uh, I've even been asked, is there football in heaven? And I don't know about that for sure. But uh, we do see that there's a lot of onyx and gold in heaven. So translation, black and yellow. All right, black and yellow. So those of you Steelers fans, there's a good chance. One more question I get asked is, will heaven be boring? In fact, Starbucks did this thing um, a few years ago on cups, on their, their coffee cups that were like um, people's thoughts. And it was called The Way I See It. And so they'd write down these little paragraphs. And this one guy, Joel from the L.A. Times, he wrote this about heaven. He said, heaven is totally overrated. It seems boring. Sitting around on clouds, playing the harp all day, it should be something like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century, but they're going to have to step it up a bit because they're basically getting by only because they have to be better than hell. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of different ideas about heaven and what heaven looks like. There's a lot of Joels out there that have this idea that it's this boring place. So let's talk about it. Like, what, what is heaven actually like what does it mean when it says thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven what is this place called heaven if you have your bible turn to first thessalonians chapter 4 and revelation 21 we're going to spend the majority of our time in those two uh 21 and 22 but first thessalonians chapter 4 and revelation 21 and 22 the bible says a lot about the subject of heaven so we're going to start here in first thessalonians it says this Starting in verse 13, and now, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to you and me. He's talking to the church. He says, we want you to know. Now, why does the Bible say that we want you to know? Like, God wants us to know the truth about heaven. Because the enemy, the devil, has a lot of bad propaganda out there about it. Like it's boring and like we're on clouds all day just playing harps, you know, all that kind of stuff. He says, but if you know, if you have a right view, if you have a right perspective of heaven, then you're going to live differently. If you know the truth about it, then you're going to act differently. You're going to live your life according to the truth that you've learned. So he says, we want you to know the reality of heaven. Keep reading. And what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. I love that verse. Use that verse at, at different funerals. Maybe you've heard that at funerals. You know, as the pastor standing beside the, the grave of, of a loved one, because that's a tough day for many. It says, but we don't have to grieve like people who have no hope, because our hope is in something greater. For since we believe that Jesus died... And was raised to life. That's what we celebrated, right? Two, two weeks ago in Easter. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Then we also believe that when Jesus returns. Now I want to stop here real quick. That is one of the hallmark doctrines of the Christian faith. We believe Jesus is coming back. We don't know the time. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But we as followers of Jesus believe that he is coming back. And the Bible says that we are anxiously awaiting and anticipating his return. And I'll tell you this real fast. Honestly, I believe it could be any day now. 
I'm not predicting that. I'm not predicting a time or you know, any of that. The Bible says no one knows, but it talks a lot about what it will look like when he comes back, what the world will look like. And I would say that we are in a season that's ripe for his return, even though we don't know when it's going to happen. And a lot of you know, people have split hairs over this idea of, of, you know, idea of him coming back and when he's going to come back and all that. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying I believe we are in a season that's ready for his return. He says, and God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So all your loved ones who had a relationship with, with God, he's going to gather them up. And I love this. I love that God is a relational God, that the first thing he does is he organizes this massive family reunion. Like the first thing you get to experience in eternity is your loved ones. He says, verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We're not making this up. This is not my idea. This is a, a vision that God gave Paul. Last, last week we talked about for we know. He said, for we know this. We can know this. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So Jesus is going to gather up those who have died first. He's going to grab them first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. So if you hear a loud trumpet blast in your sleep, you better get ready. All right? He's coming. Get your house in order. First, says the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Now this is referring to their bodies. Their soul is already with Jesus in heaven. This is referring to our, our glorified body. And I'm personally looking forward to my glorified body. Same good looks, just a little taller, a little thinner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe a little more cut up. Verse 17. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remaining on the earth will be caught up in the clouds. There's that grand family reunion that's going to take place. We'll meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So, he says, encourage each other with these words. My goal is to encourage us today, is for us to get a right perspective, a right view of what heaven is like. Because God knows that if you know the truth about it, you'll live differently. You're going to act differently when we get this right, when we know the truth about heaven. Our lives will reflect the truth that we know. Now, there are two different heavens, if you didn't know this. There are two different heavens. One, the Bible refers to as paradise. Write that down, paradise. Now, this is not the same place we're going to spend uh, eternity, but paradise is an intermediate kind of place, an intermediate heaven. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about this. In fact, in Luke 23, uh, verse 42 and 43, when Jesus is on the cross, he's not the only one that's being crucified. At the time, there are two thieves, one on his right, one on his left, and one of these guys mocks him, you know, and, and says, you're not who you say you are. If you were, you know, save yourself. But the other thief, the other thief says this. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise, paradise. Now the best word, the best description of that word paradise is kind of like a park, like a, a, a garden, a place where you would go to refresh and to relax. It literally means a temporary place to refresh and relax. That's what it means. Until you go on to another place. 
And that's interesting because a lot of people think, hey, when we get to heaven, you know, we're going to be floating on clouds. We're going to live in these mansions. Have you heard that before? We're going to live in mansions in heaven. But the word mansion is only found in one translation of the Bible in the King James Version where it says, in my father's house there are many mansions. But the Greek word for mansion is the word monet, and it doesn't mean mansion. It means a temporary dwelling. There's going to be this temporary dwelling. It's like a, like a hotel, a place where you're just resting until you move on to another place. So that's where heaven is right now. But there's this other place that the Bible calls, write this down, a new heaven. It's a new heaven. And since you and I are going to spend the vast majority of our lives there, like we should kind of have an idea of what it looks like. And it's all described in this vision that John was given in Revelation 21. So if you got your Bible, now flip over. Uh, last book in the Bible to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So heaven is not somewhere out there. It's, it's here. This new heaven, this new earth, where everything will be purified with fire, will be, will be burned up and made new. And it's going back to its original state, the original way God created it to be in the garden. For the old earth and the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. So there's this new heaven. It's also referred to as a new Jerusalem. And we don't know exactly um, where it is, if it's right here, if it's on earth, or if it's in close proximity to earth. But we'll be able to go back and forth from it. And my personal belief is that geographically, it's going to be located where Jerusalem right now is located in Israel. This new Jerusalem, this new heaven, this, this, this perfected earth is going to be here. And we're going to be able to go back and forth to the city. But it's on a perfect earth. So is not this, the earth's going to come back to its original state that God intended it. So you're going to be able to enjoy the mountains, the streams, the beaches, right? The, the oceans, all that kind of stuff, but in its perfected form, you enjoy it all. And then there's the city called a new heaven or a new Jerusalem that you get to go back and forth from. So what does the Bible describe this as? What does it look like? Let me read it to you in Revelation 21, starting in verse 15. And I want to give you a few different things today. And the first thing I want you to write down is this. Heaven is a real place. It's real. The Bible talks about it. It describes it in detail. It's not a state of mind. This is a real place. Starting in verse 15 of 21, it says this. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. So this is John's angel escort, and he just happens to have this golden Measuring tape, of course he did. It was heaven, right? His gates and its walls, so he's measuring it, physically describing it. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, or about 1,400 miles, and as wide and as high as it is long. So the best description is not like a square. It's more like a cube that it's about 1,400 miles in every direction, as wide and high as it was long. Then he starts describing it. Its walls were 144 cubits thick by man's measurements, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper, 
the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. So the, the gold was so pure, it was almost translucent. That's how pure the gold was. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx. There you go, black and yellow. The sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made from a single pearl. I love that. How big does that clam have to be? That's or the gates are tiny. I don't know. The great street of the city was gold and is pure as transparent glass. So I love this, that the Bible describes it in detail. Talks about the gold, the emeralds, the, the gates that were made of pearl. Everything is beautiful about this city. It's a real place. But the next verse, take a look, verse 22. We'll put it up on the screen. He says this, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Make no mistake about it. It's real. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's awesome. But not only is it real, write this down, it's the place where God himself is revealed. And the thing about heaven is not what's there. The most amazing part is who's there because heaven literally means it's the place where God dwells. Like he's there. Jesus is there. Like you can go over to his house and hang with Jesus. That's what heaven means. In verse 3 of Revelation 21, just back up a few verses, it says this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. I was thinking about this verse and thinking about Christmas and how we say Emmanuel is God with us. Well, heaven is us with God. We get to hang out. He is revealed to us. No longer is God this distant God, you know, that we kind of have this perspective. He's just way up here and here we are down here, but he's right there with you. I love that. It's a place, it's, it's a real place. It's where God is revealed. And we also know this, write it down, it is a right place. Everything is made right. There's no sickness. There's no terrorism. There's no disease. There's no hate. It is a right place. Everything in heaven is right. Like in heaven, Sarah's is open all year round in heaven. In heaven, the hot now light is always on at Krispy Kreme, all right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. It is a right place. Heaven is a right place. Let's look at it in verse 4. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death. No hospitals, no insurance, no copays, no cancer, no more death, no more sorrow. No more crying. All these things are gone forever. That should encourage some of you today. Those of you that have loved ones who have passed on, or maybe you yourself, you have a clock, you, you have cancer, you just, you know the time is coming. 
should bring encouragement to you. In heaven, it's, it's, a, it's a right place. It's none of that. No sickness, no disease. It's real. It's where God has revealed. Another one, write this down. It is a relational place. You get to enjoy relationships. Now, you might ask, well, why not the marriage relationship? Here's, here's my personal opinion, is that you will be so enamored with who God is. You'll be so overwhelmed with, with, with God and, and his love for you and your love for him that you won't have, you'll want to give every bit of yourself to that relationship, every bit of yourself to God. But it does say that there will be a, a place of relationships because not only did God create, you know, the earth, but he also created all the nations, all the geographic locations on earth, all the different ethnicities and ethnic groups. God loves them all. And if you got a problem with that, you might as well get over that right now. Because heaven is going to look way more diverse than what church looks like on Sunday. It's going to be people from all over, every tongue, every tribe. Revelation, look at it, 22.2. Skip over to the next chapter. It says this, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding each fruit, yielding its fruit each month. You know what? That's the seasons. It's describing seasons. There will be seasons. There will be spring, summer, fall, winter, except on a perfected earth. Erie's winter will only last three days. That's going to be awesome. That's in the Bible. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the, you know what that word is? That's the word ethos. That's the word ethnic groups. It's for everyone in heaven. God's not going to turn everybody into one giant ethnic group. It's not what he's going to do. He's not going to make people from China to look like people from Wattsburg. All right? It's not going to look that way. And if you have a problem with that, you might as well get over that now. Because it's the ignorant, stupid people that say, well, if they're going to be there, I'm not going to be there. Well, you're right. You ain't going to be there. Because so why don't we just kind of all get over that and learn to love the people that God so loved. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Because that's what heaven looks like. And we should look more like what heaven looks like. It's real. It's a, it's a place where God reveals himself to us. It's a place of relationships, and it's also this, write it down, it is a rewarding place. Now, this might, might kind of get some of you in the wrong way, but this should motivate you. Because you might be saying, well, Colby, what do you mean? You're working for rewards? You're absolutely right, I am. I'm working for the day that I stand before God, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what I'm saying? I'm working for that because salvation was God's work for me. Rewards are my work for him. Salvation was God's work for me, a free gift that he gave me that I could not earn on my, my own. And the Bible says that heaven is a rewarding place. It's not my words that, that God wants to reward you. Look at verse 12 in chapter 22. Behold, he says, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. Like Jesus is so excited to gather you up, to have this reunion, to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's like, I'm not going to wait. I'm bringing them with me. I got to bring my rewards with me, along with him. And the word reward in the Greek is the word apodidomai, 
which means a repayment for. He says, I want to repay you. And you say, well, what does he want to repay me for? What did, what did I do? Here's what you did. He said, every time you handed a cup of cold water to someone who needed it, I was watching you. Every time that you helped someone in need, I was watching, to, watching you. Every time you helped an orphan or a widow, the Bible tells us, I was watching you. Every time that you, you stopped that, that seed of dissension that was being sown in, in, a, in a conversation, like I was watching you. Every time you put down your pride, I was watching you. And I want to reward you for it. He says, I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Now, I don't know about you, but that motivates me. He's a rewarder. Look at Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come. He's going to come back in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he's done. And I'm just telling you that because you're going to be glad you knew. You're going to be glad because that day you're going to stand before God. And he's going to look at you. Is he going to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant? And by the way, this is not a heaven and hell issue, okay? That's, a, that's called the, the great white throne judgment. That's, that's the heaven and hell issue. This is not. We're going to talk about that next week. It's going to be awesome. But this is, this is called uh, the judgment seat of Christ, which the word judgment's not even really a good word for it. Because not, there's not a winner and there's a loser. It's like, hey, you did so good with what I gave you. Here's your reward. Hey, you did so good with what I gave you. Here's your reward. That he just wants to reward you. It's the the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus desires to bless you and to reward you. Why? Because your whole life is about finding God. And the moment you find God, the rest of your life is about leveraging everything you have for God. And to live for him. And let me be very clear. Your life is not about living for the things on this earth. And I know some of you like this earth. This earth has a lot of great things to like. You are some of the few people in the world that actually enjoy it because you live in one of the most wealthy countries, the most wealthy nations. You have freedoms that other people don't have. But it can become a a crutch. It can become a burden if you focus too much on it. And you get so nearsighted to what the world has to offer that you've lost your eternal perspective. And it can be dangerous for us because that that verse that we started out with, that God has set eternity in your your hearts, that might be some of you today. You've been living for the, the things of this world, yet you walk through these doors searching for something you didn't even know you were looking for. Something in eternity, something to live for beyond yourself. And that that. That fits you perfectly. That's where you are today. So what do we do with all of this? In light of the fact that heaven's real, God reveals himself to us. We get to live with God. It's a relational place, right? It's a rewarding place. What do we do with all this about heaven? Well, write this down. Because eternity is a certainty, you better live for eternity. Live for eternity. Live for the well done. Live for the stuff that will last. Don't live for the temporary stuff. Live for the eternal stuff. Don't live for what's now. Don't focus on where you are, but focus your life on where you are going. Look at Titus 2. It says this, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. 
And we are instructed to turn from godless living. That's just living apart from God. That's deciding that you can do better, that you can handle your life better, that you got this, that you don't need help. You just, you're doing it on your own, godless living and sinful pleasures. And sinful pleasures, listen to me, doesn't mean evil or bad or wrong necessarily. Sin just means you're missing the mark. Some of you, you're, you're not doing bad things. You're just not focused on the right things. You're not doing terrible things. You're just missing the mark. You're just missing uh, what, what you should be focused on. Keep reading. So we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and a devotion to God. Why? Because he's coming back. And because eternity is a certainty. While we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Jesus Christ will be revealed. So how do we do that? How do we live for eternity? I want to give you three things and I'm done. The first is this. Re-aim. Re-aim your life. Re-aim your life. Don't focus on where you are. Focus on where you're going. You need to take an inventory today. Are you leveraging everything that you have for uh, an eternal target or for a temporary one? And I'm not saying don't have stuff. I'm just saying your gifts, your time, your talents, your treasure, like that's, that's all great. Like go to the game, right? Buy season tickets. Just take a lost person with you and tell them about Jesus. Enjoy your boat, right? But take some people fishing, you know, and teach them what it means to be fishers of men or take them camping and just pour into somebody. Leverage everything that you have. Re-aim your, your focus. Have an eternal perspective or else what happens is you get caught up in your stuff. You get caught up in the, the here and now. And when we do, it just goes bad for us. And I know a lot of Christians that their treasure, let's be honest, is on this earth. It's not stored up in heaven. It's stored up in right here. And the Bible says in Matthew 6, 9, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store them up in heaven. In other words, figure out a way to make everything that you have count for eternity. Figure out a way to make your life count for eternity. And I would say, jump on a team and start serving in the church. Like, make an impact that way. Like, some of you have been coming through the doors, and you're just, you're consumers. You're not contributors. And I'm not knocking the consumers. I'm glad that you're here. Come and consume and, and just kind of relax. That's great. But those of you that have went to leverage everything in your life, man, you need to use your gifts. Like sit one and serve one every single week. Just jump on a team. Just get involved. Be a part of something that's making an impact in this community. And not just your stuff. Can I tell you something? But your heart. Like you need to re-aim your heart. Now, as I was preparing for this this week, um, God laid someone on my heart. In fact, he laid two people on my heart. One of them I know who it is. And so I don't necessarily know who this is for today. Maybe it's for many of you. Life has a way of, of biting you, doesn't it? In fact, let's be honest, people can bite you, can't they? And it hurts. And in fact, I'll say it hurts more when when you don't see it coming, or when you have this attitude that it wasn't supposed to be like this. My life wasn't supposed to be like this at all. But people will bite. 
People bite. You can, you can quote that, tweet that. People bite. Colby said, people bite. When I, when I was growing up, I was terrified of getting shots. Like terrified. I just hated getting shots. Because every time I'd go in there, you know, they'd say, all right, just don't, don't look. Just look away, look away, look away, look away. And then all of a sudden they poke you, you know, real fast. And you're like, ah, you know, that's terrible. But you know when I started being okay with shots is when I started looking. When I started watching, they're like, look away. I'm like, I ain't looking away. I'm checking this thing out. And I would watch and I would see it coming. I'd have a different attitude and I could see it coming. Plus I knew I was going to get some ice cream on the other end if I did okay. But some of you, the reason why it hurts so much is because you're so focused and fixed on, on what's happening now to you. But having an eternal perspective enables you to push past your, your current problems that you have. And I know life is tough. That's why Paul said this, that he was hard-pressed on every side. He was persecuted. He was struck down. He said, but I wasn't destroyed because my eyes are fixed on something else. My aim is fixed on eternity, not on what's going on. Jesus promised us that in this world we would have trouble. And followers of Jesus, you will be persecuted. So it's coming. And if you're going through life thinking everything's going to be fine, that's when it hurts more. But you can count on it. He says you're going to have issues. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.18. So because of that, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, this too will pass. This too will pass. Whatever it is you're going through that just hurts right now, it will pass. But what is unseen is eternal. I just want to tell somebody today, don't get crushed under the pressure, under the weight of this. Whatever you're going through is temporary. It's temporary. Have courage today. Just re-aim your focus. Re-aim your focus. Stop looking at where you are. And the second thing is this. Reach the lost at any cost. So while we are re-aiming our focus why are we getting our perspective right? Let's reach the lost at any cost. We say often that we'll do anything short of sin to reach as many people as we can in this city. And let me be honest, this church is not motivated by being bigger. It's not. That's never been our, our goal. This church is motivated by eternity. Because every time you lock eyes with someone, you're locking eyes with someone who will spend eternity in Two places, heaven or hell. That's the reality. And because of that, man, let's, let's reach the loss. Let's do everything we can to make it difficult for people in this city to live in eternity in separation from God because they didn't allow Jesus to cover and pay for their sins because they wanted to pay for them themselves. That's, that's what hell is. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You realize that. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. But man, let's do everything that we can. This church, you know, we believe people are our heart. And you'll, you'll, the people that are in, on board with that mission, that you get that, here's what happens. You invite your unchurched friend to church. And when we offer the invitation, which every week we offer an invitation, that's just a mandate that God has given me, placed on my heart and planning a church. We offer that invitation. I said, all right, every head bowed, every eyes closed. I said, if you prayed that with me, you raise your hand, but you're looking, you're watching your friend. And you see their hand go up and you see tears coming down their face. Then you get it. 
then you understand that we will do anything to point people to Jesus and create environments where we can do that and to see them grow up in their faith and get connected, get plugged in to a group and then start using the gifts that God gave them. That's really our heart of this church. So we'll reach people, reach the loss at any cost. Look at Jude one twenty two. Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire, and save them. It's what we're called to do and be a part of. In fact, the Bible ends with this verse right here in Revelation twenty two seventeen. It's a few verses before the actual end end. But it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. You know what we say every single week? We open the doors. We say, come on. Come on. Wherever you come from, whatever your background is, whatever you've been through, whatever you've done, whatever you are currently doing, that's all right. We just say, Come. You are welcome here. Come and let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift, the same free gift that every single person in this room has been offered. The free gift of water of life. God, help us in light of eternity, in light of it being a reality. Like, help us to re-aim Help us to reach people and help us to one more, and I'll finish with this, renew our relationship. Renew your relationship. 2 Peter 3, verse 13 says, but keep in mind with this promise, with this promise, we are looking toward a new heaven. So that's, that's where our perspective, we, we've, we've established what it looks like, how it's gonna, what it's gonna be like. We're looking towards that. We don't know when it's coming, but we're looking toward a, a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, this perfected earth, this better earth, this, this new heaven, this city of heaven, this, this relationship, this closeness with God, where God is here among us, because of that, spend time with God. Because of that, make every effort while you're here on this earth right now, everybody's alive and breathing, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, real quick, if you were sleeping, it's time to wake up. Don't miss this. There's nothing you can do on your own to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Jesus. You can't do that. God knew you couldn't do that. And so he sent Jesus to, to bridge that gap between you and God. He, God wanted a relationship with you. God wanted to see you in heaven. God wanted you to experience an eternity in heaven so bad that he sent Jesus to this earth to die for you and stand in the middle between us and God so that we can have a relationship with him. So while our eyes are fixed on what's to come, having this eternal perspective, man, I would be way off base if I didn't give you a chance today to renew your relationship with God, to get this right, like to nail this down, like to make sure. And the way we do that's through prayer. So why don't we do this right now? Everybody bow your head in this room. Not looking around. You don't got any place to be. I mean, come on, this is just a few minutes for something of such high importance. Maybe we'll give a couple invitations. Maybe the first one is this. Those of you that, man, you're a follower of Jesus, 
but you haven't been leveraging everything God has given you for eternity, let's just be honest, maybe you've been too caught up in what this earth has to offer, this world has to offer, and it's hard not to be. But you get convicted today by that. Maybe you just need to renew that commitment, that relationship that you have with God. And so I'm gonna invite you in just a moment to to pray along with us. Or for those of you that came through this door today, and you feel extremely far from God, you've never put your faith and your hope in Jesus, but something drew you here and something is drawing you now. That's God's spirit. He's got his finger on your life and on your heart. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants to secure your salvation. He wants to make you a new being for the life that you have left on this earth, but also so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. And so I wanna invite you in just a moment too to pray this prayer. It's through prayer, how we communicate with God. But the most important part about it is that you just believe it in your heart. That you understand that God did everything he could to get to you, that you cannot be found spotless and blameless on your own apart from him. And today, you put your trust in Jesus, the name of Jesus, the Jesus who stood in the gap, the Jesus who knocked down the barrier between you and God. I want to invite you to do that right now, too. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, count me in. I'm praying that with you. Would you raise your hand? Just extend it high. Just be bold. This is a time to be bold. This is a time to get this right, to nail this down. God bless you. Man, that's awesome. Praise God for you. Praise God for you all across this room. Pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud. You can whisper it to God. God, today, I want to stop being focused on this world and this this temporary life and what I can get out of it. And I want to be focused on what's to come. I want to stop doing this my own way and surrender my life to you. So Jesus, I call upon you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I trust the moment you gave your life for me on the cross and the moment that's happening right now where I put my trust in you for the sacrifice of my sin, that I will be saved. So I repent and confess of doing life my own way. Forgive me, Jesus. Today, you're my Lord and you're my Savior. I put my faith in you and I believe that on the third day, God raised you from the dead. So right here and right now, I'm being raised to a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen, church, celebrate with those today. Come on, that made the best decision of their life. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, Share your story online at elevateerie.tv.